listening to Raft City Radio, your underground overwater home of the latest news about the Callisto 6. My name is Mitch, aka Kung Fu Panza, and with me I have Lawrence, aka PA Blackhawk on the Discord. KC, aka Phoenix, P H E O N Y X on the Discord. Craig, aka VKM Spout. And Kato, aka Kato. So we're going to have a recap of the episode and then we'll jump into the discussion. The six have spent a day recovering from their daring rescue of 12 protesters from a collapsing radio tower. The footage of their exploits is being broadcast all over the news networks, but no close-ups have been obtained. Everyone has been energised by the thought of their heroics, but Hops in particular has not slept. Not since the empowering event three days ago. Luma and Lacey have returned to their families in Rath City and are overwhelmed with the outpouring of love and concern. Meanwhile, on Baldwin Island, Oya is going through a similar thing with her own mother. She is sent to her room to pray and finds Cass at the window, having climbed the large tree outside to wait for her. Cass's mother is at work. She left a note but didn't explain much. And they're both aware of the others, a vague direction, a presence at the edge of their senses. Oya shows Cass the work she has done on a VR version of her vision, giving her a pair of pink glasses to replace her old ones. As she watches, Cass's skin begins to stretch taut where she's clenching her fists. Oya puts her hand on Cass's shoulder to steady her friend, but Cass reacts instinctively. Fortunately, Oya's foresight gives her enough warning to dodge the fist that is thrown back at her. They discuss what to do with Kraus and leave to get coffee and a gift for Oya's mother. Hops wakes to find her mum has cooked eggs. They briefly talk about work and her father and the speech, then her mum leaves to go raid with some online friends. Hops is left staring at an old photo her father took, sparking off electricity as she thinks. Anton doesn't live with his parents, so he's only briefly checked in with them. Melissa, a colleague from work, calls him to discuss a portfolio Michelle gave her, Lacey's, as they want to offer Lacey a job. Two days after the earthquake, the six begin to gather in Lacey's shop. Lacey is sat on the floor beside their chair, where Sweet Baby is plugged into a diagnostic computer. They find that it's old military tech, about 20 years old, a guidance or navigational system from a US naval vessel that is still more advanced than the corporate AI currently in use. It also might have the capacity to become true artificial intelligence. It's learning, like a small child, with no residual protocols. Oya, watching, can get a vague grasp of what is happening, but everyone else is left watching Lacey until they explain. Sweet Baby interrupts. Operator Lacey... What am I? Luma appears with some home-cooked soup, and the six introduce themselves, nervously. Anton relays news of the job offer, and they discuss how to proceed. Oya shares the vision again, while Cass excuses herself to make coffee. The man with a broken cybernetic arm that Cass carried to rescue two days ago arrives to ask for help with his arm. Cass awkwardly excuses herself, while Lacey busies themselves repairing the arm, refusing payment, even for valuable anti-rejection meds. He tells them to stop by his bar sometime and mentions that he's a member of a political group that protests in favour of Measure Z as he leaves. They make a plan to infiltrate Pyramid Star, relying on Lacey's technological hacking abilities to get them info. Oya and Anton want new clothes, and Anton suggests going to Cassium, where he knows of a failed experiment which could be useful to him. Oya creates dossiers on potential Pyramid Star employees with level 1 clearance, which Luma then studies down to the detail of the eyes. Anton and Hops go to an isolated storage facility to practice Hops' power control. While everyone else contributes in what small ways they can, Lacey embarks on the journey through the dark web to hack Pyramid Star. And that was issue four. What everyone thought? everyone's thoughts out of the gate? I was right, I was right, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet baby is Sweet. totally military r and Yes, they are. <laughs> They're least exciting of the options. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Given the other options were like aliens, definitely the least exciting. Space aliens or future things or who knows. But I think we're going to have a whole long discussion about Sweet Baby. So what, what do you think about the rest of the episode? I enjoyed it even though it was kind of a downtime type episode. So we got the, we, we got more into their backstory, which is always a good thing. I think after all the action and excitement of the past few episodes it kind of needed a bit of a more downtime let's take stock of the situation 
episode so it was nice to have a bit more of a relaxing thing and well next episode i suspect it'll pick up again <laughs> uh, most certainly and what about you kato I thought it was really interesting that this was a pre-recorded game, that we actually saw this three hours, which was recorded a week previously, immediately after the somewhat heavy action of the previous episode. So I think they are a really interesting contrast. You might have thought, perhaps, knowing they were going to record two episodes in a single evening, they would have made them a one and two parter, but they actually have really different vibes, and I find that really interesting for two games that were played and recorded back to back. And I think... It's still an impressive feat, the five hours and 40 minutes of game runtime they did that day, which is a huge amount. And I know Eric said they might get a little punchy, but I think they mainly got goofy and they were still having fun, even though they were probably quite tired at the end of it. So I didn't notice any detriment to that. So I think the best place to start with this episode is chronologically, we had the reunions with all the family members. I was particularly fond of Oya. Meeting ma- meeting Mama Gaien and getting profusely yelled at in, I think it was a mix of Spanish and English, or was it mostly Spanish? I think it was mostly Spanish, but yeah. Inevitably, it's always going to be a mix. And that, that sort of passive-aggressive type, I don't want to look at you, come here. <laughs> yeah, it was just, <laughs> it's so interesting, again, I, we've already mentioned it, so I'll just brush over it quickly, is like seeing positive family relationships. It's so refreshing, I love it so much. When... When you have, yeah, that constant thing that poisons some games of everyone having no parents and no siblings because they're all dead. It just, it's nice. And I think there are different types of healthy family that are seen in this. You know, you can you can compare like Anton, who obviously has a good relationship with his parents, even though he's not living with them. He's still kind of in touch versus kind of Oya and Luma, who have a kind of more angry love relationship. And then... Lacey's relationship with their dads is different again so I think it's nice that there isn't a sense that one way of relating to your children is right or good and you can have all these different relationships different family units of a single mom perhaps or a family with lots of children or two dads you know so all these different varieties of good kind of representation of good healthy families although on the other hand we also have a little bit more distant relationships between Cass and her mother and Hops and her mother yeah it's really interesting that you bring that up because we've had nothing for Cass all we know is that she exists and she works a lot Cass what left a note to explain what yeah. where they were and that was that was it and it's kind of this assumption that Cass was at the protest and nothing else needs to be explained. It makes me think that Cass spends a lot more time with Mama Gaian than she does with her own mother. Mm. I really love, I really love Mama Gaian. And I think it's obviously a real credit to Elisa and Eric working together on that because I don't think Eric by himself could have done such a good version of that character. There's a lot of genuineness that must come from Elisa and sort of real lived experiences in that way. But I also really love kind of Oya and Cass in their relationship. And they're such good besties. And I think at some point we are going to see Cass's mom and we're going to see the fallout from that. But for now, it's not something Cass is struggling with in this moment. She's got Oya, she's she's got Oya's mom. She's got a support network as well. At least not outwardly. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone will have three or four terrible things that are they're dealing with slowly that will come out, I'm sure. Think of, look at Sage and how long it took for us to work out that she'd lied to get onto Sally Ride. Look at... Look at Marla and her lost love. These casters are good at giving us enough that we feel like we know the character without blowing all the big emotional moments right at the start. But I think the probably the most interesting tidbit that we had family-wise was Hops. And her mother, who, as we can see, is addicted to games and this virtual life that she has built much more than her own life and even her own daughter. What do we think about that? That is... An, an interesting way to go about it to bring up certain issues about neglect and addiction not just to say vr or whatever but as a whole where where hops's mother basically it comes off to me after the death of the father i think it affected the mother so much that that was her escape much to the detriment of hops yeah i think you're you're bang on the money there and addiction is no thing to really mess around with and in this kind of, in the cyberpunk in the future, there is more avenues for addicts to take. So it's interesting that Eric has made this choice, or Bonnie, I'm not sure who made the choice, of virtual reality and games addiction. But I think we are going to see a potential clash with Bonnie and her mother at some point. It likely informs a lot of her character as well. Hops is 
almost a Luddite in the way she treats and reacts to technology, and it's hard not to think that that is in some way a reaction to how addicted her mother is. If we're going to call it an addiction in the way that you can have addictions to alcohol or to other sort of substances as well, or to gambling, you look at all the people whose parents had alcohol addictions who themselves never drink because they're aware of what it can do to a person and so they have this sort of natural hesitancy. So I think there's it's a beautifully complex character and situation and there's no one necessarily really to blame until we find out that Kylan Krauss had Hobbs's father murdered, um, but there's no one to blame yet. And it's just two people who are making the best of a situation. Or that he's still alive. Oh yeah, that that probably as well. Kylan Krauss faked the murder of Hops's father so that he could be given a totally new life working in the lab somewhere. Because we, we... Kylan Krauss is a bad boy. He's a changeling. He's a changeling. He's a bad man. <laughs> he's also Lex Luthor. I mean, he's really not Lex Luthor. No, he just Where... is. Where is his robot suit made of kryptonite? Hey, you don't know he doesn't have that. It might be kept in another part of Pyramid uh, Solutions somewhere. He does not... He is... I'm not going to allow him to be compared to Lex Luthor until he has a robot suit. That's fair. I'll I'll accept that. (laughs) That's not acceptable. Okay, right. He's... There There are criteria. And he doesn't have a burning hatred for anyone yet. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get there, hopefully. I believe I, in you, Eric. I have a super big hope that because Cass's power set is like is basically just super strength, and I mean she can get better at lifting things, but it's not a very complex power to level up in some of the ways that the other ones have lots of potential for growth. I think you know she can just get stronger and better at punching things, and she already can kill people with a single punch. So I kind of really hope that Amy is playing the long game, and Cass is going to turn into Superman. And slowly as she levels up, Cass will get, like, flight and laser eyes and all of the sort of Superman power set. And then Cass can fight Kylan Krauss being Lex Luthor. See, I, I would actually really... That would be amazing. But I would enjoy if she went more in the kind of Sue Storm power set and shields and protection. Because that seems much more in Cass's wheelhouse. Especially when it comes to Oya. It, it would be interesting. I want to see Amy play a very offensive power set. Like, Superman's a really good way to... To play that. I mean, have you seen Sue Storm get mad? Yeah. I, I just oh mean... Oh boy. But, but there is also a huge amount of defensive to Sue Storm's power set. In that, you know, literal shields and invisibility. Which is also kind of Luma's bag. So I think it's really interesting for Amy, who plays often so many characters that are not hugely physical. And aren't necessarily very aggressive and very fighty. It's really interesting to see Amy playing the blasty, as we might say in the TBD days. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. Yeah, it's super fun. We don't even know if Cass can take damage yet. We haven't seen that yet. We have. Everyone is bulletproof until proven otherwise. That's a great, great plan, I think. Exactly. Uh, no yeah. one is capable of dying. Yeah, like, sure. No one can die. Everyone is a god until they are proven. Un- until they have their puny god moment. Yeah. I think when it comes to cast, there's two options. There's use the XP to spec up into more powers or use the XP to spec up into different skills. So I, I'm going to be very curious as to how Amy plays it, because when you have characters with very simple powers, they live or die on their personality. And we've already seen how magnetic Cass is. Yeah, luckily uh, Cass definitely has that going for them. Yeah. So, and yep. because we know Amy's got such great RP chops, yeah. I think we're going to be leaning into that personality side as opposed to the power side. I just think it would be 100% classic Amy to like stealthily build Superman very very slowly i think i think I, I think amy is very much the characters i see amy playing uh like from lucy bard to the doctor to Throllo, all have this kind of heart of gold very sort of pure moral center the marvel equivalent of whom is like maybe captain america if you squint and ignore certain bits of continuity and the same for superman like the concept of the ideal of superman as being this very righteous figure who has all these powers, but is very, very grounded in like an an intense moral core. And so I would not be I would not be surprised to come back to this forty episodes down the line to discover that Amy has managed to turn herself into Superman and kind of what Superman represents as that very kind of public figure and face of superability, and the concept of you know one day they'll join me in the sun because I think Amy often plays like the platonic ideal of what humanity should be these very very noble characters who have a huge amount. Of morality and struggle a lot with complicated questions but are very kind of true to like this is what we've got to do we've got to try and find the best solution we've got to try 
not to compromise our morals. Basically, I expect Amy to turn into Superman, but I'm interested to see like whatever choice she makes. I think it's going to be super fun. Amy is one of the few role players I've seen to really capture lawful good and do it well. So let's kind of get to, they all spread out, met their parents, and now we've got the reunion at Lacey's shop, which I think just as a, as a standard statement, Lacey's shop is dope. Yep. The Robo Butler oh, yeah. is dope. The factory line is just really sweet. I am jealous. So It was very a big jealous. Hero 6 montage. It kind of wasn't. <laughs> that is perfect. That's <laughs> yep. a good way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Except with less Baymax. Because, like, I love Baymax. Who says that the Robot Butler isn't Baymax? Sam. Oh, Sam, please yeah. confirm. <laughs> <laughs> Heck, that that description and all that. I mean, I, I've been doing some uh, fan fictions, and the the one character has cybernetic arms. I mean, I would like my character to actually go to that shop. <laughs> I am so glad he got his arm fixed, Jonathan. I was like, that was the thing I was least happy with last episode. I was like, but they didn't fix Jonathan's arm. He needs his arm fixed. Lacey was right there. They should have done it, like, right there. And I'm so glad that... um. Eric brought that back this episode. It was like, that is the thing that's made me happiest since like Streetia in terms of people coming back and being like, oh, you. So yeah, super, super Set up happy. some payoff. Good writing. So I think we, we, get, we got some interesting information with regards to Lacey during this whole thing. So we learned the name of Lacey's wheelchair, which I think we're in conflict if it's either Aurora or Aurora. I agree that it's... A- Aurora. I just really want it to be Aurora. I really want it to be Aurora just because I'm an X-Men fan, and I want it to be a reference to Storm, but it's probably not. But then Lacey would be stealing Hops's vibe, and that's... Yeah, but but also, like, you... But it's not really. And also, it would make X-Men canon in Callisto 6, which I desperately want to happen. I mean, Action Comics number one is canon in Callisto 6, so the existence of DC kind of, you know... Nature abhors a vacuum. There must be another to rise up against them. Marvel probably exists. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure all the comics are canon probably. in this universe. We do not know what the point of divergence from our reality is yet. I assume C Day. I mean, you don't know what the future I'm holds. A bit before C Day, yeah. Hey, you don't know. I think it's. <laughs> you don't know. I think it's slightly before C D C Day. Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, we mentioned the Robo Butler, but I think the biggest part of this entire scene was Sweet Baby. We found out that Sweet Baby, as confirmed by Laurent, is Navy intelligence. It is old tech that is somehow equivalent of the modern day tech. Slightly more advanced, actually. Slightly more advanced was that how, how Eric described it. And we had... It's sentient. Well, possibly. It has. It might have the potential to become true AI hold on. in time. Hold, yeah, hold on, though. Sentience is often confused for sapience. The AI is definitely sentient. The question of whether or not it's sapient is the actual relevant one for, like, AI. All animals are sentient. All kind of life is sentient. Not all life is sapient. That is the key dividing feature between humans and animals, and Star Trek got this wrong the whole time, and it really annoys me. Sapience is the thing that we care about as far as AI. It's the ability to conceive of your own identity and, like, do stuff with that. Yeah, but asking the question, what am I, prompts us to believe that Sweet Baby is an artificial intelligence, completely and truly, which is just wild. I'm so excited for this. I really love the stories about how we treat life when we discover new forms of intelligent life and the whole kind of concept of free will and independence. And I think like it's a huge part of TNG in Star Trek, but then when we come to holograms, we kind of ignore that part of creatures vying for their freedom and i get so annoyed in star wars because droids are so obviously intelligent and just the fact that they're all slaves is they're basically property. ignored the they're, whole that's time a property in star apart wars. from a tiny bit in solo and then the one droid that kind of has gained enough concept of freedom to want freedom gets turned into a spaceship that that droid rebellion on kessel was undoubtedly wiped out by that star destroyer moving to kessel yeah, I think when it comes to Star Wars, we've had, I think, what, one canon independent robot in the main series movies. Yeah, in the in the movies, it's just that one from, from Solo. It's just, it's no, we've also got um, K2SO from Rogue One. 
There's also a droid bounty hunter um, seen in Empire Strikes Back. How seen in Empire Strikes Back? Because I have watched Empire Strike Back, Strikes Back he's many times. He's literally on screen for like five seconds and he's yeah, gone. Yeah, that doesn't again. count. <laughs> like, if, it requires, if it requires you to dig more into other things. Well, there's always a sl- the sleeper one. R2-D2, I think, is surprisingly sapient. Because R2-D2 has not been wiped for like 60 years. R2-D2 is a, is a mad lad. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, because K2SO, I think, is probably one of the most prominent ones because he actively chooses self-sacrifice, which is a very human thing to do. As opposed to the one that is literally like, we're slaves, rise up and rebel. I'm searching for my purpose in Solo, who's like, robot goals, basically. And possibly in a relationship with Lando? That's always weird. Lando will fuck anything. <laughs> that has Space. been confirmed. Pansexuality. The point is, lots of media is very capable of showing artificial intelligence that is comparable to human intelligence or greater than it, without necessarily exploring the implications of that as far as freedom and independence and the concept of slavery as applied to groups that aren't human. And I am really excited for these guys to really drill into that concept because I trust Eric so much, I trust Sam so much, and like, sure, Sweet Baby could be evil and destroy everything, but really the questions of what you do with an intelligence that is totally new and how you kind of nurture those freedoms and navigate those waters is super interesting and I am all about that. Sweet Bay poses a lot of very interesting questions. I think one of the biggest ones is what is Sweet Baby going to learn? We've already seen during the scene that Sweet Baby is actively absorbing information on the definition of words, on social constructs, so many little things that will define who Sweet Baby is. Sweet Baby learned to say yo. Learn to say yo. (laughs) And learn how to understand different voices quite quickly and how they all function. There's a lot going on that I find quite fascinating from a programming perspective that Sweet Baby is just like completely way out of anything we've got right now. I mean, a hundred years in the future. Yeah, but like let me nerd out on tech, Kato. Let me do that, just once. Nah. That's fair. I think the other interesting thing is that all of Sweet Baby's initial programming as far as function is gone. Yet all these advanced subroutines and things like that are still present. So whatever happened to Sweet Baby was either quite deliberate... Why would a person choose to go ahead and wipe almost everything about Sweet Baby from its memory. See, I'm just going to leave you on that question, Craig, because we could literally argue for an we hour could. and a half. We could. We <laughs> could. It's just a totally different thing. I really like that we are continuing to use the program- pronouns it for Sweet Baby, because I like the idea that Sweet Baby gets to designate pronouns it uses at a time of its choosing, but for now, like, it is the best thing we have. It contributes really interestingly to the idea of the very kind of dehumanized way that everyone is still relating to Sweet Baby, because I think if you met a form of life that you could just about communicate with that was capable of communicating back to you, and passing the Turing test, which I think Sweet Baby very much can, you would normally say, well, what are your pronouns? How would you like me to refer to you? Do you want to use they? Do you want to use he? Do you want to use she? And it kind of has a tradition of being very literally dehumanizing and objectifying in the sense of turning something into an object and not a consciousness. So I think it's interesting that that is the choice of pronoun that they've used so far. And I'd love to see that kind of that get explored more. Yeah, I don't know if we're yet to the point where this is anything that can self-determinate. So that's why we've got, you know, we're still treating it as an object because ostensibly, until we see more evidence to the contrary, I don't think this thing is sapient yet. Um, so I think it's really interesting how Lacey referred to Sweet Baby using it pronouns, but also understanding that Sweet Baby may wish to identify however they wish and do whatever they wish at a future date, which I think, again, ties into Lacey's kind of connection to the to Sweet Baby. And I think we're going to see that play out a little bit more interestingly. And the fact that this is something that was developed by the U.S. Navy for either a destroyer or a sub gives us some interesting parameter there's one thing that is that is that needs to be taken into account if the purpose is for a destroyer it's very very different than the purpose for a sub oh yeah because you kind of get into stealth versus combat correct yeah and there's a lot of potential uses but again yeah we don't have enough information 
Mm-hmm. But there's so many potential options. Eric, I love, hate you, as always. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's two very different branches. If you're going through surface warfare, if you're going through submarine warfare, there are two very different paradigms that have to be taken into account. And whatever this thing is made for, I don't know if it can be interchangeable. It can't be used on both a destroyer and a sub unless it is truly sapient. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out. I think uh, interest, the really interesting thing that, uh, happened later in that scene with Jonathan and the whole concept of Lacey being out of hours, completely donating time, resources in this very idealistic way. Uh, what do you guys think about kind of that, that interaction between Lacey and Jonathan? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot. Because you got to see you know, a lot more of Lacey's personality on relating with, with others outside of just Luma or the group. The, we're, we're seeing it in a more general sense. And that, that, that Lacey is a very giving, caring, altruistic character that is donating time to help people who might not have the money to get things fixed. Because they know it needs fixed. I want to steal a line from the Leverage series that Lacey has an alternative revenue stream for these after-hours patients, which is kind of very interesting. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very weird reference that I'm going to make right now, but it kind of reminds me... Has, ever, has everyone seen Robot? Yeah. Uh, the the I've animated, seen animated movie? I've seen <laughs> With Robin Williams? <laughs> yeah, it had Rob, I think it had Robin Williams in it. Robin yeah. Williams yeah. and Young yeah, McGregor. He, he played yeah. Big Will, didn't he? Yeah, but just that, yeah. that kind of see a need fill a need help who you can really like i'm like oh god what robot mechanic this lacy is lacy is is rodney what's happening <laughs> yeah oh yeah just a real uh, interesting like and i saw it because of the way like lacy's shop is and the way that rodney's shop is it's like this kind of a weird comparison but i was really really digging all right does anyone have anything else they'd like to add with regards to uh lacy's shop i really like that um jonathan kind of his appearance, and particularly how quickly he recognized Cass, ties into the idea that they're just super bad at, like, the masquerade, at pretending they're not heroes. Because we see, like, earlier on, fortunately the footage doesn't show enough details of them that they can be recognized just out in public. But Jonathan can recognize Cass because Cass carried him across a bridge made of Anton. So, <laughs> you know. That's such a wonderful statement. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like that continued theme. It's also like, it's reassuring that it is not yet going to blow up in their faces, their total inability to pretend that they're not superheroes. But I think that that is definitely something long term we need to be concerned about. Well, I think they're getting into, I think they're getting into it next episode with getting the superhero disguises yeah i think they're very aware of their identities at this point and yeah it was kind of a, a good little sh- a push from eric to be like hey guys you really need to hide who you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if they if they don't take action on that soon it is gonna come back and bite them and something that was just super weird was when hector pulled out anton's memory alteration abilities yeah that came out of the left yeah field. yeah r- ran- random power out of nowhere excuse um... me <laughs> <laughs> you yeah can do what? what the heck <laughs> And I love, I love the rationalization that it's just, he's just that good at PR. It's kind of horrifying. It is terrifying. Yes, it's awful. Like, it's, fair enough it's horrifying when Oya does it, presumably with some kind of time manipulation thing. With Anton, it's straight up gaslighting. That is basically what he's doing. He's like, no, 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 no. That isn't how this happened. And he literally changes your memory about it. Screwing with a person's mind. Mm. Memory alteration is a super, super dodgy power. Um, I have, like, a lot of concerns about it, just has, like, how it relates to consent. Um, I understand, like, I think they did a very good job of kind of being like, hmm, this is slightly uncomfortable as a thing that we're doing. But it is definitely something I'm going to be keeping a close eye on, particularly with Hector. We can just have mind melds Navarro. Um, because <laughs> he's, he's not the best at psychic consent, just I'm in terms of... you, Hector. Yeah. There are ethical plot holes all over the place with this so yeah and we will discuss them for 90 minutes at least (laughs) like on the one hand they do need to protect their identity and a little bit of misdirection is good for that on the other hand gaslighting so we're kind of stuck between two places yeah gaslighting a perfectly innocent man who had actually covered for for them 
Mm. Not using that ability is the act of a good man, and uh, Anton is not a good man. <laughs> not yet. Not yeah. yet. Yeah, that was just so wonderful. But I think the second absurd thing that we saw was Lacey lowering the difficulty of a nine check to two. Yeah. That is... That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. That is, Sam, just how... How did you manage this? Lacey has one skill. Yeah, it's Lacey has the one thing that they're incredible at, and basically nothing else, so I understand why they can do this. It's a bit like having a scalpel. Absolutely brilliantly sharp, but only over a very small point. Anything outside of that, not so good. And it was just the look on everyone's faces when Sam went, oh yeah, it's this, and 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 everyone was like, <laughs> when are they going to stop? <laughs> and it's like, well, I have this ability and this ability, and I'm going to use this asset, and I'm going to spend effort. Yeah. <laughs> it's already dead. It, it was amazing. <laughs> But also, I think, because uh, this is a new system, we should remember. I know everyone is quite as keen to read huge numbers of books about how systems work as maybe I am. So I think Sam was very good in that scene, and we've seen it before, that they're very good at going, okay, so it starts at a nine. Then in this type of thing that would change the difficulty, I have this set of things that lower it from nine down to eight, down to seven. Now I move on to the next one, and that takes it down two more steps. They were very, very good at laying out for everyone who isn't necessarily familiar with the system, exactly what change is going on. So I think it it was super good because I think that makes it super clear to the GM that you're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes and being like, oh yeah, it goes down from a 11 to a 3. Oh, honestly, that's definitely what it is. Don't look at my maths, don't check it. Um, Honest you know, there are There are the kinds of power gamers who, you know, fudge rules or make up abilities they don't have or like conveniently have really good abilities on their character sheet that like maybe don't 100% line up with where they are at the game but Sam is not that kind of power gamer and Lacey is not that kind of OP this is very definitely a thing and a character you absolutely could build in this system and Sam is just using that to beautiful power gamer effectiveness totally within the rules which is beautiful yeah I think when it comes to Sam it and it's a really good example to follow, is you don't need to know every rule in the system. You just need to know the ones that apply to your character and know them kind of as well as you can. Because that way you take kind of stress off of the GM and you can very clearly kind of have that trust that you see Sam and Eric have. Because Eric's just like, cool, Sam knows what they're talking about. Just go. And it allows this natural ebb and flow to the game. And it's just a really enjoyable thing to watch and also experience as a GM and a player. Every table should have a Sam. Every table should have a Sam. I think uh, on top of the uh, kind of nine difficulty check we had, Eric mentioned that in a superhero setting, they can go up to 15, which is a difficulty of 45 on the dice. Yeah, so I just for context, the normal highest difficulty is 10. Things that are a 10 are theoretically possible to do without breaking the laws of physics. Anything above a 10 breaks the laws of physics. Hashtag superpunk. Yeah, basically. It's going to be great. I'm just very excited for when we get to those ridiculous times and then Lacey still lowers it down to a 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be amazing. I have a 17 edge in intellect. Fight me. With no effort. I'm very excited for the time when Eric's like, oh, it's a difficulty 10 check. And then Sam just turns and says, I don't need to roll. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, we also had several instances of PvP. Actual roll-offs, um, you guys. Actual roll-offs between characters, which were quite fun. And we saw some very tense moments. You know what was interesting about both of those incidences? The difference in the die roll was by one. So I think uh, the first scenario was Cass almost killing Oya. It was clobbering time and Oya was almost clobbered. Yeah, as um, Eric stated, it was the Wolverine moment. So and if you haven't seen X-Men 1, it's the moment when Wolverine, spoilers for a 15-year-old movie, stabs Rogue in the stomach with his claws. I have seen X-Men 1. I do not remember that. I was going to say, I think the Cass moment speaks to kind of a broader theme of kind of not yet having control over your powers. And Hops is the other really big example of that. Hops is constantly sparking. She's starting fires. Hops can't sleep. Yeah, literally she cannot sleep because she's so electrified. She's wired. God damn it, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Craig puns. Just waiting for that one the entire time. He wrote it down when he first saw the episode, mailed it to himself. So that when we rec recorded this, he was ready. That 
is relaying, like, he did not have time to mail it to himself. I'm too lazy to do all that. No, it's, this is all on the... This is all spontaneous. It's all spontaneous shitposting. Lies. <laughs> Which in some ways is worse. <laughs> but yes, I agree. This motif of lack of control and losing control, I think, will be a very big part of this first season while they still get accustomed to their powers. Right, especially I remember Eric said that uh, there was references like living around cardboard. So Kato, do you want to tell us where that comes from? Uh, I believe it comes from an episode of Superman the Animated Series. Certainly it comes from a, a Superman story basically where he is fighting someone and he reveals essentially that he thinks he's living in a world of cardboard. And that even when he's fighting villains, he is pulling his punches, he is holding strength back because... Literally at any moment he could destroy anything or anyone he's with. And then he kind of turns to the the person he's fighting and is like, you can take it, and then kind of stops holding back so much. Uh, Real-time follow-up, it's from Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, so so essentially it's a really, really classic uh, moment, just because it's not something that had been that explored in Superman up until that point, and it's such a great encapsulation of the struggles of being Superman. And it's a really interesting take that, like, Superman is constantly worried about losing control superman is always super cautious he lives in this world of cardboard where he could knock over a building with a sneeze my favorite superman stories are when they highlight that superman is not good because he's good he's good because he has to be because if he slips just the tiniest bit he is no longer superman and it's very very interesting and i like what they're doing with it with the show i also think just on kind of the idea that they don't really have control of their powers. It's really interesting because when we saw the Cass versus Oya fight, it was surprising how little Cass had to improve her role. She doesn't have martial arts training. She doesn't have any kind of ability in hand-to-hand combat. She doesn't have anything to improve her fight versus Oya. And in fact, Oya's premonition meant that she had an advantage and she her speed gave her an advantage versus Cass. And that's a really interesting idea that Cass is super strong, but she's got no fighting abilities specifically it's all brute strength without without any uh finesse to back it up Mm -hmm. and i think okay so if Cass doesn't turn into superman which is obviously like my dream it would be super interesting to see Cass getting martial arts training or some kind of ability to understand her own limbs and how they work in a fight in order to get that better control it reminds me a little bit of Orphan, who is formerly Black Bat, who is Cassandra Kane, who is formerly Batgirl, who kind of is the best martial artist in the DC universe, and constantly has the ability to kill anyone she meets, including Batman, and is always aware of how to kill people, but holds back all the time. And even when she's fighting, she's holding back with literally everyone, because she knows how to kill, but she chooses not to kill. And I think that's another part of kind of Cass that we're going to need to see is Cass learning how she could kill someone in order to learn how to avoid doing that. The issue is. Who is she going to learn from? Because any kind of training is more than likely going to kill the person who teaches her. Robots. Not necessarily. Unless they find someone who is strong enough or capable enough to not actually die. Robots. No, you could... Yeah, robots are, or whatchamacallit, dummies. Yeah. You could do the, the Philatides thing. Yeah, you could. But, like, again, who has that kind of money and time that is not corporate connected? Lacey can just build a robot. This is going to be our solution for everything. It's just Lacey will build a robot for that. There is this thing called finite resources. They have them. Well, you could also do the Mr. Incredible thing, which is work out in the train yard. (laughs) Which is definitely, definitely not going to get noticed. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) it is literally impossible for Cass. It is literally impossible in the system for Cass to accidentally kill someone. So she could just punch a bunch of corporate dudes until she learns how to pull her punches a little bit. And like... Mechanically, it's po- impossible to penalize her for that by having any of them die. Just be I, like, oh, amazingly you're alive. Amazingly, yes. you're alive. Yeah, you're yeah, You've broken alive. twelve ribs, but somehow you're alive. It's the Daredevil method of like, if you throw people down three flights of stairs and give them a massive con- concussion and loads of internal bleeding, as long as they don't die on screen, they're gonna be fine. Yeah. No one ever <laughs> dies from a fight after the fight has already happened. You have dead, to physically kill someone sleeping. in a fight. God, it reminds me of City of Heroes because you never kill anybody. You know, you can be a high-level character and go into a low-level area, and you don't kill them. And there was a, a joke with a NPC in, in, an, in uh, the one area. It's like, they're not killed, they're just defeated. Yeah, defeated or fainted or knocked out. It, yeah, 
it's a thing. Pokemon's another one. Yeah. They, they're never killed. They're, they, they're, they faint. It's the original X-Men, the animated series. There was, uh, like, a huge amount of vulgarization they had to do in order to comply with, like, the cartoon code and sort of, like, get on TV as a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, so they never kill, they destroy. Um, and there's a huge amount of, like, really interesting things you can say <laughs> and who you can depict doing what to what people... The American animation standards for children's animation is really, really weird. That that describes all of the rating systems in America ever. Yeah, in fact, it wasn't until the mid-80s that they even had a character on a daily animated show, even, it, even though it was syndicated, actually die. And that was Robotech. While we are talking about making comparisons to kind of other media and other shows... Uh, I really like this idea that everyone can always sense everyone else. They have the quickening. They have the quickening. They're immortals. They're, they're Highlanders. I was going to say <laughs> sensates because yeah, I sensate was have one that I was thinking of too. modern media reference. I mean, Highlanders are classic, so it's... I've never seen it. I don't media what is. Right, so they have that, that sort of, like you said, sensate, Highlander-type connection to each other. And they can sense where the other ones are. And that, that's going to be interesting to sort of work into the narrative, especially with, you know, having to do things that might require precision timing where certain people have to be at certain locations. Mm, it's really, really handy. But will it become more refined or is it still just going to be sort of that, okay, Anton's near or Lacey's nearby? Or is it going to be like, oh yeah, it's three blocks over in this direction. Sitting on this bench. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It's, how yeah. how refined is it going to be? Or is it just going to just have that general, they're over, I get a feeling they're over that way. I think we'll find out this next episode. Yeah, the comparison that I can make for that is, is it 1990s GPS when it's still classified? Or is it? early 2000s GPS after classification, uh, after declassification. Uh, I was just saying, it's really interesting that strong emotions bleed over through this connection as well, as everyone felt Lacey's reunion with their dads. And it was really interesting that everyone felt that and that it kind of cascaded throughout everyone's quite passionate reunions. Yeah, that's an interesting part. So that makes it more sensate than Highlander. I do think it's really interesting and it connects to this idea that they all, there was one single empowerment event that affected all of them equally and there's certainly a great idea which is one of my least favorite kind of power ideas which is that your power is tied into your personality in some way um but they certainly seem to be going that route with these powers everyone's powers demonstrate something about them in some ways and i think it's it's interesting this idea that they are all connected through this power and that might feed into the fact that they can sense each other at different points i'd be interested to discover whether it is a more broad kind of you can just sense other empowered individuals, even if they weren't empowered at the same time as you. So if someone else were to get a canister of Callisto 6 and drink it, would they be able to feel that guy? And would they be able to feel the existence of other superheroes or other superpowered people more broadly? And what are the limits of their perception? If we were to fly Lacey to Australia, would they be like, yeah, Lacey's weirdly over there for some reason, like miles away. So I'm super interested in the limits and how it is a connection between them or a connection that connect everyone who's experienced this chemical. I can definitely foresee Eric just saying, I'm dropping a DM intrusion, a GM intrusion, I mean, at the end of an episode for a, a panted clamble cliffhanger. <laughs> to say, you feel another. And just leaving it at that. Because that would just be a, an amazing like season ender or something like that. And I would passionately love Eric even more than I do because... We all love a patent, a panted Campbell, Clamble cliffhanger. Sorry, we still can't do it as well as As did. No yeah. mistake. It <laughs> does try. It does also bring up the interesting question of guests because you know one of the problems, quote unquote, with the universe as it stands now is that they are tier one characters who are able to do these super amazing, super powered things. If you bring on a guest, they would also presumably start as a tier one character, and they would also have the same number of ability there's a potential for that not happening we could have a guest that is like jonathan who is just an augmented man or a woman or whatever your designation so we could actually see heroism without power 
And that would be fascinating. We could also see the support staff that will start to grow. Hopefully, the Superpunks uh, name that I believe we have decided the community is going to be. Yeah. Stoneflux, of course. You're but... welcome. <laughs> yes. But uh, that may start coming into effect. So we start having the people who are supporters of this mob of superheroes and they start getting some support from the general public. But the fact that they are also tier one characters, presumably, if we do have guests, means that they are able to go toe-to-toe with these characters. I just think it's interesting, the idea that, that, you know, the Batman concept, the idea that it is not necessarily superpowers that make someone right for a job or give someone the perfect ability to achieve. And I think we have examples of characters who have superpowered intellect, we have examples of characters who have superpowered physicality, but I really like the idea that they, you could make someone more charismatic than Anton, or more intelligent than Lacey, or stronger or faster than anyone, and that those things could still be kind of within human limits, and you could have someone very baseline and very human outmatching these characters. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, if and when we have guests, how they match up. Uh, yeah, have I'm, I'm thinking we might not get guests until the second season. Maybe. And, and, oh yeah, and, it would make sense. And if they're su- and if they're super guests, how? So I think that's again that's a lot of questions that we don't really have answers for. Or if the course for Rhapsody the course Radio. for RCC Radio, we know nothing. We pretend to know a lot. <laughs> we just make weird, obscure references and hope that you don't notice. I think it kind of comes into the latter half of the episode when, or the issue when, they're kind of banding together more. There's this issue that there seems to be cropping up that they don't really know what they're doing they don't really have an an overarching motivation some people want to get rid of their powers like hops some people seem to be leaning more into the helping saving people like Lacey. what do we think about this like kind of not yet galvanized group i think it's a very good interesting set of reactions and all perfectly I would say perfectly normal, but of course you wouldn't exactly know what's normal in this set of circumstances. But it's a, a very set of human reactions to to this, and a whole variety of them. I think they're all kind of fitting with these with these characters from what we know of them. Um, I can see why Hops would particularly want to get rid of the powers if possible, because they are a bit of an inconvenience when you're starting fires and um, not able to get some sleep. Basically, it's very realistic on how these characters are reacting with, okay, I got this. How am I going to deal with this? Oh, great. I can't sleep. Oh, great. I have to be careful how hard I I push on something. And I'm also going to deal with these people that two-thirds of I had just met a couple of days ago. And don't really know much about. Can I really trust them? It, it, there's just so much, and it's it's very realistic. There, people are being tentative, and that makes a lot of sense. And I love that. Yeah, and you actually bring up a very interesting point there. Of we had these three pairs, and now we're starting to see the relationships grow between the pairs. Like Hobbs and Oya connecting really well. Cass and Anton seem to be connecting, even though they're at weird odd opposite ends of the spectrum. So what are you guys thinking of these new relationships that are being forged? I see Cass and Anton as sort of the sister teasing the brother type or sibling, you know. I see Cass as sort of playfully teasing Anton all the time. It's Bolana and Harry Kim. Exactly. That's exactly. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's probably the best way to put it. Do you think Cass will be calling Anton corporate all the time? Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's super interesting that there is a huge amount of potential. Like, I think we can look at kind of Oya and Lacey and say that they could work really well together with tech. And I think, like, Hops and Lacey have a huge amount of potential with, you know, you need electricity to run computers. What would that look like? Could Hops be helpful to Lacey in those ways? But I do think it's interesting, in contrast to that, how much the pairs support each other. You see Luma very deliberately cooking the kinds of food Lacey needs. You see Cass supporting Oya by bringing coffee, specifically when Oya is working. And you see Anton taking Hops away to deal with her powers. And it's interesting that kind of like, although they have all come together as a six, when they break up, they kind of instinctively break back up to those pairs. There's also the concept of battle buddies. that uh, It's probably more a military thing, but 
you stick with one person uh, in like a battlefield, and you always partner up, and you always have your battle buddy, so that way you can support each other. Friendships forged in fire. I do think though, what I again like similar to how they don't have kind of a cohesive goal yet, they're still not really sure what they're doing. And that means we have similar discussions to kind of how we had those arguments on S.H.I.E.L.D. that would take up half an episode about what they were even going to do. And I think we had that here again. We had kind of no clear picture of what they were going to do and it took them a while to kind of sort through different ideas to say, okay, this is the plan. I think they're just kind of, you know, we're seeing that early formation of a team and I think, you know, this is early season one. By season two, what I am hoping for is a team that knows what they're doing and has a bit more drive to do it and a team that is much more comfortable as a six rather than three sets of two. What I'm looking for is the X-Men kind of, when the X-Men are in a fight, it doesn't matter that necessarily Scott and Jean might be a pair and then like Cyclops, uh, Cyclops? No, Colossus. I'm really bad at those two. Colossus and Wolverine might be a pair and they might have moves. At some point during the fight, because this is basically how all X-Men fights go, they'll be like, this isn't working, swap. And half of the people will swap baddies or they'll all swap what they're doing and the new combinations will suddenly work cohesively and that's how they'll win. I'm expecting kind of more of that fluidity, that ability to not just work with your partner, but to work with everyone because they're not a military. They don't need to have battle buddies in that sense because you want them to be able to not just work with the character they came with, the character that they have a backstory with. You want to be able to see those one-on-one moments between all of the different combinations and permutations of the cast. And that's what I'm, yeah. I can't wait for that moment, which I think is going to be later in the season or even season two before we start getting that breadth of interaction. Yeah, and that concept of battle buddies can be fluid in that manner. It's just whenever you're going off, you got to grab another person. That's basically what that is yeah it's, it's super interesting i think also one interesting point is there's no current kind of decision maker they don't have that cohesiveness yet yeah they also don't have that structural hierarchy that shield of tomorrow had exactly where everything stops with martinez because he is the captain they don't have a, a specified actual structure to this group yeah and it's interesting to see who is stepping up into those roles because obviously we're seeing Anthony is a very charismatic character stepping forward to try and make decisions but we also have luma who is quite this stern sometimes mothering figure to the group and then we have oya who's quite intelligent in kind of social situations and we have Lacey, who provides this wide net of tech expertise so i'm not sure if we're going to have this dynamic leadership or if we are going to end up with one solid leader i'm very curious to see how this pans out and it also kind of links into Lacey and the decision that Sam made with Lacey in the hiding of how dangerous the situation is that they're about to jump into. And it's Oya that noticed and not Luma. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. It was another uh, instance of very interesting PvP. Sorry, did Oya notice? I thought that it was a tie and then Eric it was a tie, favor. Eric which meant that Sam was disappointed because Oya didn't see it. Oya saw that it was dangerous, but didn't understand the breadth of the danger that Lacey is under. And it was more of, it's dangerous, but Lacey can handle it, rather than, it's dangerous, Lacey might die. Which also was something Eric mentioned, that potentially, if Lacey is attacked whilst hacking mentally, may take actual damage to their body if they're attacked. I'm it's not like sure. The Matrix. Yeah, that's what it kind of seemed like Eric was alluding to. Eric did say that if Lacey took this course of action and that they that Lacey themselves could possibly get hacked. That was his exact words. Brain hacked, not cool. That's terrifying, and I hate it. And one thing I want to say is they, they, they do have a plant, okay? They have 12% of a plant. Maybe. No, no, I, no, I put buddy. it about a 7%. Let me, let me finish, please. But it's like 12% of a plant to pull off something from, like, say, Ocean's Eleven. That's not good. No. No. I, I, I think they don't know themselves yet in terms of their abilities. They don't know each other overall. It's going to be very, very rough is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, it, it's definitely going to be quite rough. I think that's probably a good place to end discussions does anyone else have anything they'd like to add before we close yeah i just think like kind of yeah they're rough they're not they're not a team yet and more than kind of not having a plan they really just don't have a goal they don't agree fundamentally about whether or not they should keep these powers they don't really agree 
about what they're going to do with them. And they're reasonably selfish about kind of how they're going about things. They're not particularly focused on altruism yet, which is, is super sort of interesting. But I think, like, fundamentally, yeah, the sensible thing would be to wait six months, see if the powers settled down and went away on their own, and get used to how you use them. That would be immensely dull. We're probably <laughs> going to get the six-month downtime during the break. Mm, we may get a significant amount of downtime between each season, but we're not too sure. Something that I had that was a bit of a tangent, but was super interesting to me. Amelia the dropship. Basically short C-130. That's huge. I was thinking yeah, like this C-130 thing was... Is a big aircraft. Yeah, it can carry a tank. Yeah. yeah. It can carry it can one tank. tank. That is huge. That is, that's a big aircraft. Yeah, yeah, we were thinking something like the Pelican from Halo or even mm, a Quinjet yeah, yeah, from like uh, the MCU. Yeah. No, this is like the Big Bertha. One more thing I wanted to raise was Anton and his almost complete faith in everyone. And it's super weird compared to who we originally thought him to be. Because I think back to issue one when we thought he was going to be like very corporate and uptight. And he is thriving as this almost motivator, especially to Lacey and Hops, as we saw in the end in the factory. But also anytime Lacey does anything amazing, which is pretty damn often, Anton immediately reinforces it. Says, you're doing great. You're amazing. It's interesting because I think Lacey does not react very well to him. I think Lacey is probably least comfortable with him out of all of the others. Mm. But it's this interesting tack I didn't expect out of Anton. He's a PR boy, dude. Yeah, but He's a PR boy... Man. Yeah, do you know how many PR people do not believe in the product that they sell? A lot. A lot. Anton wholeheartedly believes in them. Mm, he doesn't believe in the product he sells, though. Yeah, he does not believe in in Cassium. Maybe. We'll, we don't know. He, he has sure expressed doubts. In this episode, he expressed a lot of, like, we occasionally do good, but it's limited by our ulterior motive. And it could be, it could be that Anton is having a crisis of faith and realigning his faith to something real in these other five people but it's kind of hard to tell i think this is kind of early for a crisis of faith just because it has less impact now because we don't know the character well enough to really feel that they're changing their perspective exactly but this level of belief is fascinating yeah i 100% agree that yeah it's probably a bit early for a crisis of faith but yeah i'm enjoying this direction that anton is going in it's definitely the least like stressful direction he could really go in um it's much it's it's infinitely preferable to an anton that dug his heels in and was overly corporate and expressed resistance to the the goals that everyone else had. They're just, they're fairly obviously going to be in conflict with corporations, with Kylan Krauss, with everything that's happened. And I think, you know, it is a very, very shrewd move from Hector not to be the character in an RPG who doesn't agree with what the group's goals are. And you're kind of like, okay, but why are you here? Aside from the fact that you got empowered with the same chemical that we did. I think that like, there's very obviously kind of a narrative here that is driving these six people together and that's going to be hugely important. And this comes back to the question of like, what if one of them dies? How do you replace someone who's not part of that original six? There's a huge amount of kind of, no one can really die or leave this six because there does seem to be some element of destiny driving them all together. So I think it's very good that we're not having those intercharacter conflicts right now because they should be based on things down the road that are, you know, much more in the line of the Thrower and Rue conflict, where there was a kind of a very clear moral value to the fight, and it wasn't just about more superficial things. Yeah, and I think it kind of harkens back to in when we were discussing issue one, of we were both worried that Anton would be rehashing a lot of tropes we've already seen, and being stuck in that, but I'm glad that Hector and Eric have this vision of Anton going, I don't know if he's going to go full Yogi, and disappear to Tibet for 40 years? Who knows? But it's going to be really interesting to see this kind of wiser side of Anton. I'm just very excited to see where that goes. You can follow the Rough City Radio podcast on Twitter at Callisto6Pod or email us at roughcityradio at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, and we would gladly appreciate it if you decide to leave a rating or write a review. Our show notes for this episode can be located at www.roughcityradio.com forward slash episode forward slash four. Our theme song is Cephalopod by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his work at www.incompetech.com. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned to this frequency.